We just took part in something that's it's beautiful in its own right, singing holy, 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 singing we're broken and in need. We can bring all of our brokenness to God. It's melodic and it's beautiful and it's worshipful, but there's another adjective that we may not immediately think of that this morning I want to fix in our minds and our hearts. I want this text to deliver to our souls that when we gather and we sing and worship, it is fierce. It's actually a declaration of war. We're going to see today that when we sing out, spiritual forces of evil scatter. Our songs are powerful and they are a weapon in a very real spiritual battle that we are all engaged in. We sing because God is worthy of it. We sing because we need it. And ultimately, in today's text, what we're going to see is, is we sing because we're engaged in spiritual battle and your songs are a weapon for spiritual battle. When we sing out, the enemy scatters and is beat back. This morning, we're going to dig into what that looks like as we continue in our series called Sing, exploring the power and the centrality of worship in your life as a Christian and in our lives as the church of Jesus. We are made to be worshipers and our worship is crucial, it is central, it is bearing fruit in our lives and this morning we're going to see that one of the reasons that is true is because it is crucial for spiritual warfare. So. We're going to dig into this story where we see David and Saul interacting. We saw the Holy Spirit rushing on one, the Holy Spirit departing from another. We saw an evil spirit at work coming and, and departing. We're seeing beyond the pale of what meets the physical eyes as there is very real activity happening in the spiritual realm in this story. And as we allow it to speak into our lives, I, I believe we're going to see that, that we're experiencing the same. Friends, we are engaged in very real spiritual battle. We see it in this text and, and it is true in, in your life and in mine as well. There is far more going on than meets the eye. You heard it in this text in verses 13 through 15. Let me, let me show it to you. It says this, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, this is David, in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So Samuel was known as the kingmaker, the prophet that anointed kings with the oil. And, and as he does, the very power of God begins to rush onto young David years before he's king, but it's preparing him. The spirit of God is now a personal reality working with David, empowering him and preparing him for leadership. And in the very next verse, in verse 14, we read this. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Now, something is happening in Saul's life that is visible and identifiable to the people closest to him. It's it stated in verse 14 and restated in verse 15. It's stated as a fact in verse 14 and then as a quote on the lips of his servants in verse 15. They're looking at him and they're saying, behold, like stop and look you are being tormented by a, a ra ruach. That's the Hebrew. 
that's kind of a mouthful, rah, ruach. It means an evil spirit, a bad spirit. But interestingly, in both times, it says it has come from God. There's a lot of debate about what's going on here because it feels curious to say an evil spirit from God. And it actually gets repeated three times throughout the, the whole of this text. Um, some say that ruach is a different word than the one typically used for a demonic spirit, that this may be an angelic spirit that's sent from God to, to work judgment in Saul's life. That's a possibility. The other possibility is that, no, 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 it really is an evil spirit, but it only came to him by way of God's presence. So if you think about, if you're familiar with the story of Job, we know that Job was under attack by spiritual forces of evil by Satan himself, but Satan had to get approval from God and he left God's presence to come and to work, work evil against Job. So you could easily have said an evil spirit came from God to Job because in a sense, that evil spirit had to have God's sovereign oversight that he couldn't work evil in the world without permission because God has ultimate control even in the most broken places. What we have here, however we read this text, what I want you to hear is this, what, what we need to recognize together is this, there's far more going on than meets the eye. David and Saul and the exchange of power is actually something that's happening in the spiritual world. And friends, the same is still happening today. We, this is somewhat offensive to the modern mind. We think that everything is is visible to us and can be described in terms of physical forces. But when we step into a, a biblical understanding of the world in which we live, we realize that there are spiritual forces of evil at work. Not just, not just grand kind of detached evil and good as eternal realities, but we're talking like personal realities. A true personal Satan and demonic forces that follow his direction, a third of the angels that fell in rebellion to God, and that are actively working against his purposes in the world. A biblical understanding of the world recognizes that you, if you have said yes to Jesus and saying yes to Jesus, you didn't just say yes to salvation and a whole new life in God, you did. You did that. You didn't just say yes to the church, you did. When you say yes to Jesus, you are actually ransomed into a whole new family. But another thing that you say yes to you when you say yes to Jesus is you actually are saying yes to stepping into a spiritual battle. You now have an enemy that is set against you and is working against your purposes in the world. The spiritual forces of evil that hate the church and are looking to undermine the glory of God in the world. Without, without doing an entire biblical theology of spiritual warfare, let me just make a couple of notes before we root back down into this text. If you're interested in spiritual warfare, arguably the best place to go in the scriptures to understand what's happening is the book of Ephesians. It's an epistle written to a church that was born out of spiritual warfare. Ephesus is the place where the sons of Sceva, you remember these guys, they were trying to cast out demons and the demons jumped on them and beat the pants off of them. They run out naked into the streets and everybody sees it. This is also the place that when people start coming to salvation in Jesus, they start burning their books of divination in the public square because they have been so in, kind of enmeshed in the spiritual forces of evil. That's how the church was born. 
which interestingly, it shouldn't be a surprise that when Paul writes a letter to Ephesus, Satan or the demonic is mentioned in every chapter of all six chapters because this is their world. This is what they live in. So if you're interested in trying to understand a biblical theology of spiritual warfare, Ephesians is a good place to go. And in Ephesians chapter two, we're told that you have three enemies of your soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're all working in conjunction with one another to draw you away from God's purposes and plans in the world. I think what's important for us to recognize is this, that the devil and the demonic forces do not work in this like vacuum of weird, eerie spiritual reality that's outside of the norm of what we deal with in our day-to-day discipleship. What Ephesians is saying is that the world, the flesh, and the devil are working in concert with one another to draw you away from the truth of the scriptures, from the grace of Jesus at work in your heart and your life. So, what we see in the life of Saul should not be a surprise. If we were to study the life of Saul up until this moment, what we would see is that he's been making consistent decisions in alignment with his flesh, paying attention to the world and cooperating with the world's purposes in such a way that the enemy is gaining increasing control in his story. Several chapters before, he made a sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to make. He disobeyed God when God said, devote these people to destruction, and he decided not to. He has consistently been operating in ways that are in rebellion to God. And then you arrive at this chapter, and what you realize is this. He is now coming under the authority and control of a spiritual enemy that is driving him further and further from God. In the coming chapters, he begins to spiral into anxiety and fear and paranoia, into deception, into rage, until finally at the end of his story in a few chapters, he's actually channeling spirits by the power of a medium, and he ends up dying in that place. What you have is the story of David coming into the Spirit of God and beginning to walk in the power of God while Saul is spiraling out of control, clinging to his flesh and to the world, and as a result, he's coming under the authority of the enemy. I say all that to say this, brothers and sisters, you are engaged in a real spiritual battle. And it doesn't always show up like something that is eerie and outside of the norm. It shows up like the voice of your flesh saying, nobody will know, step in here. You know it's not the right thing to do, but you deserve this. Or everyone else is doing it. Look around you. Look at what the world is doing and what they have said is right and good. Certainly you can step in here. And as we begin to participate in those places, we, like Saul, come more and more under the authority of the enemy because his voice begins to make more and more sense to us. Where we listen to the flesh and we listen to the world, the voice that is undermining the word of God all of a sudden feels authoritative and clear and strong. He begins to be able to speak in ways that we receive as true. This is the journey that Saul is on as there is a ra ruach, a bad or an evil spirit that is beginning to speak to him, to exert authority over his life. And it's into that space that I want to encourage you today by telling you about a very powerful weapon that you have at your fingertips. As you and I engage in a spiritual battle every day, 
I want to tell you about a very spirit, powerful spiritual weapon that you have that we can learn how to leverage more effectively. The, the powerful weapon that we see show up in this text is skillful, spirit-filled music. Skillful, spirit-filled music causes the, the evil spirit to lift, to leave. It creates room to breathe and to experience the presence of God. Look back at verse 16 and following with me. It says this. This is Saul's servant speaking to him. It says, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. Interestingly, just just note that his servants recognize that spirit-filled music is a solution to spiritual torment. They know this. They say, hey, you're under spiritual torment. That word for torment literally means fear. You're, you're bound up in so much fear, but if you have spirit-filled music play, you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. What a description of young David. He already has a reputation, ultimately because the Lord is with him. But what he had says is he's handsome and he's strong, he's skillful. When he plays the music, he's hitting the right notes which ultimately is part of the picture here. He's like, he plays it well, but the Lord is with him. And when he plays, something happens. It says, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and he sent them by David, his son, to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. You see, Saul was tormented and afraid. He had been participating through his flesh and in the world in the schemes of the enemy to the point where the enemy began to throng his soul, and he was bound up in fear and paranoia. And those that were close to him said, you need, you need help. And we actually think that songs that are played that are full of the Spirit of God will, will be a salve to your soul. It will be a balm for you. And as he sins for David, he finds that when he plays the lyre, it in fact, it does minister him. It creates space for him. And this, this is not unique to the time of David and Saul. This has been true throughout church history. And as I was thinking about the, the power of worship and the way that it confronts spiritual forces of evil, I was looking for some folks that have commented on this throughout church history. I just wanna share a few of their notes with you to help us understand that this is not lost in some faraway place like, like ancient Israel. Mary Slosser, who is a, a missionary in China for many years said this, I sing the doxology to dismiss the devil. <laughs> she said, it used to be that we would gather and we would sing the doxology to dismiss the devil from our, from our midst. Amy Carmichael said this, I believe truly that Satan cannot endure it. And so he slips out of the room more or less when there is a true song on the lips of the saints. 
Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, music drives away the devil and makes people joyful. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. We know that to the devil, music is distasteful and insufferable. My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed me and delivered me from dire plagues. And John Piper, a contemporary thinker, commenting on what how music has functioned throughout church history said this, it is no wonder that Satan hates the songs of God's people. He does his best to keep a church from being a singing church and he does his best to keep you from being a singing person because he cannot endure the spiritual songs of the saints. You can fight him with your song. You see, What has been true throughout church history is true in this text that where we are thronged by spiritual torment, struggling to think ourselves clear because fear and anxiety has begun to cloud our soul where we're beginning to believe the voice of the enemy. Song is a powerful weapon to cause him to be dismissed. It causes him to scatter. Uh, one of the most spiritually intense weeks of my life was a trip that I had the opportunity to lead to Miami years ago. Uh, I had a, a group of college students with me on, on a mission trip to Miami. We went and uh, we were sharing the gospel and spending time with, with local churches and um, I'll say it like this. Uh, we confronted the enemy in ways that was undeniable to everybody present. Um, One of the young men, it turns out, had come on the trip in order to thwart the trip and was manifesting demonic spirits at night. And and, uh, and so we were thrust into the front lines of battle in a way that was, um, was profound. And I remember that week, One, it was a week that grabbed the hearts of several of our people. There were several that were called to ministry that week. One that is a a missionary in northern India today. Uh, God was doing something in and through the intensity of that week that was awakening hearts and souls to the reality of everything that we were studying in the scriptures. But I remember each night in worship, it felt like a clash of light and dark and life and, and death. And I remember one night we were singing and a man that I I hadn't realized, but he'd been dealing with addiction and struggle and tension. He went running out of the room while we were worshiping. And I went out and I put my arm around and said, what's going on? And he was like, when we sing the songs, I I was hearing a lot of other things going on. And as we began to pray, what I realized, he, he was actually on the front end of being set free from years of addiction but the enemy was raging as the song was being lifted. I still get to walk with him and see the freedom that God was working starting in those days. It was was almost as if for a few days, the veil was pulled back and we all peered in and we went, oh, like singing? It's not just a warm up for a sermon. It's not just like a nice spiritual activity. It's a declaration of war. You are daily pressed upon to move away from the truth of what God has for you. 
You're pressed upon to participate in the ways of the world for your flesh to be satisfied in the ways that it's, it's clinging to and longing for. And when we sing out, it's as if something begins to, begins to happen. It's as if the enemy has to be pushed back that we have the opportunity to engage a powerful weapon by singing. Uh, some of you are aware and are praying for our family yet again. I, you know, I'm, I'll be quick to keep asking for prayer because I feel like we're just limping along. My youngest is back in the ICU. Um, he, he has RSV that landed him in, in ICU. We're pretty sure the worst of it is behind us. But as many of you know, it's been a, a year of just intensity. We had almost three months without a hospital stay. Um, but he's there this morning uh, with machines helping his lungs breathe. And when I woke up on Friday morning, my kids were off for, from school and Cruz had just been taken back to the hospital and Ashley was there. And I started to realize that the, the temperature in our house had changed. It's like PTSD, everybody feeling it. And when you're six and 11 and 13 and 40, you just, you process it in different ways. And I realized like, ooh, we're in trouble, like we need help. And I'd been sitting in this text and so I, I put on worship music. I'd just come from the emergency room and I was tending to my three sons that were still home. And we had worship music playing and we sat down and we, we sang one of these songs, we prayed together and we just talked about how we were feeling and all of a sudden it was like sanity was restored to the space. And I, I, I realized that as all of our emotion spikes, and as we're tempted in the realities of life where we just feel like we're undone, we want to quickly run to the spiral, or at least I do. My mind fixates and I'm drawn into what the enemy is trying to convince me is true. And in that space, we have a decision to make. And what I want you to know is I want you to, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm standing preparing you for the battlefield. I want to put the weapon in your hands and go, don't lay it down. Pick it up. Be prepared because your flesh and the world and the enemy that is thronging your soul will draw you away from what's true into a spiral of fear and paranoia and tension and deception. But one of the ways that we cause the enemy to scatter is we take up a song. So worship, worship. Very simple things that we do at our house, not perfectly, infrequently, but that we do it that has been helpful. Sometimes we sing the doxology at dinner. We'll do that several days a week where we don't offer a prayer. We sing before we eat because quite frankly, I got to keep the devil away from my dinner table. <laughs> you know, you, you sit down six people to dinner and all of a sudden it can be a wild place. Like we sing and, and it, it settles our hearts. It helps us to have some clarity together. In the mornings before school or in the early mornings, oftentimes before I'll wake my kids up, I will turn on some music so that as they wake up slowly and they step in, there are songs to King Jesus that are playing in our house that, that settles and changes the air that we breathe together. In your time with God in the mornings, which I certainly hope you're making time for, time to sit with this word and to be reminded of what's true, let it be a musical moment Put in some headphones and listen to a song or two that creates space in your head and your heart to engage with him and to hear from him. 
Oftentimes, after I've sat with the text, I've prayed and processed, I will, at the conclusion, put in my headphones and, and take about a seven-minute walk. It's about a song or two. And I just am meditating on what I just read, and I'm beginning to pray through my day, and then all of a sudden, a lyric will catch my heart, and all of a sudden, I'm lifting that. And by the by the conclusion of that, I am prepared to step into the headwinds of the day because the spiritual war is waiting for you. It will press in. If you're not meeting the enemy headlong daily, you need to pause and ask which direction you're headed because he's always pushing against the plans of God. You see, we need to take up the tool of worship for the spiritual battle, and this is why. You see, we're facing a very real spiritual battle and a very real weapon for the battle is our skillful, spirit-filled music. And the last reality is this, is because that spirit-filled, skillful music, when it's offered from the heart, it creates space for you to breathe, to be refreshed. Hear it in verse 23, the way that it works in, in Saul's life. It says, whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David would take the lyre and play it with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. That word for refreshed literally is, is a Hebrew word for wide open spaces. Now, I, I trust that you've felt it like I have, the way that fear and anxiety and paranoia can feel very constraining. I feel like I can't breathe. It's like, I like I can't get out from under it. And what's happening here is that skillful, spirit-filled music is creating space for him to breathe. It's says wide open spaces where he can be refreshed. You see, our, our worship creates space. It causes the enemy to scatter when we offer these songs. Um, many of you have heard one of my, my favorite series of books is the Wing Feather Saga. I read them aloud to my boys. I highly recommend them. Phenomenal set of, set of books, but it's the story of these children that realize that they've been marked out for royalty and they're, they're fighting an epic battle, even though previously they were just a, a little family living in this little, in this little uh, small town. And they realize that their lives have kind of epic impact. And the youngest of them is a little girl named Lily, and Lily walks with a limp. She has a crutch, and her, she was injured when she was a child, and she walks with a, her crutch, and she plays a whistle harp. And as the, as the story goes on, and they realize they're engaged in this epic battle, that all of a sudden an enemy shows up, and the enemy is scary and intense. They're like these big bat creatures that swoop, and um, you know, it engages all the imagination. But one of the things they recognize is that when Lily plays her whistle harp, the enemy can't attack. And so there's these beautiful extended battle scenes where Lily, the youngest, the smallest, and the weakest, limps up onto the roof of this, of this enormous building where they're all seeking safe haven, and she takes her whistle harp, and she plays and plays and plays for hours until her lips are raw because when she plays, the enemy begins to screech and plug its ears and it, it hovers and it can't keep swooping and attacking. And, and there's this beautiful image that engages the human imagination that it's actually the weak and the limping one lifting their songs to heaven that creates room. It creates room where the enemy can't keep swooping and attacking. And, 
and the truth is that our worship is similar in the sense that it's, it's not a magic bullet. You singing a song doesn't make everything okay. It's not a magic bullet. And it wasn't for Saul either because incidentally, the, the enemy would retreat when the song was lifted, but he never dealt with what was happening at a heart level. And so when the song ended and David moved on, Saul was actually swamped again by the fear and the voice of the enemy until finally it destroyed him. You see, lifting a song is not a magic bullet that fixes everything. What it does is it creates room to breathe so that you can deal with the actual issues. You see, the song prevents the enemy from continuing to swoop in the same intensity so that you can all of a sudden start thinking, what's going on with me? Why am I waking day to day swamped with fear and paranoia? Why am I participating in the ways of the world? Why is my flesh running me ragged when I want to be a man or a woman that's directed by the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, your worship is not a magic bullet, but what it is is it's a real weapon that creates space for you to finally deal with your heart. And when when fear and paranoia and rage and deception are swirling in your mind, in your heart, and in your home, sing. Sing out and cause the enemy to scatter. But then in that space, in those moments, in moments here when we gather together week after week and we lift songs, in your daily time with God, when you sing and you, you kind of find those moments where you feel like, ah, here's a wide open space. I'm thinking clearly. I'm calmed in the presence of God. There, set your gaze on King Jesus and rehearse what's true. Underneath the fear and the paranoia and the, tent, the tension and the anxiety, there are lies that have found purchase in our souls. And as we hold the enemy at bay with our song, we can finally begin to apply the truth of the gospel. We can finally start recognizing that we don't just need brief moments in wide open spaces. What we need is an eternally wide space and it has been secured for us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, there is an enemy who hates you. And by the way, he has already been defeated. His back was broken and his head was crushed at the cross of Christ. He is raging. You know, uh, a, a venomous snake when killed can still bite and still inject poison, sometimes for days. The fangs of a, of a snake can still inject. The enemy is dead. His head has been crushed, but the poison is still running through his veins. And the, and the reality is that as we engage in this battle, we don't engage with fear or concern. We engage with confidence, knowing that Jesus has won the war. And as we rehearse the good news of the gospel that, listen, friend, even in the midst of your rebellion, of your folly, of the ways this week that you participated with your flesh or followed the ways of the world, Jesus came for you and said, while you were at your very worst, I made a decision to lay my life down for you. You are cherished. You are safe. You are safe and secure eternally if you're in the hands of Jesus. And so, yes, the battle rages on, but the war is over. It is secure. And so we sing out to have a little bit of room to breathe.
And in the space where we breathe, we rehearse what's true. And then we walk forward in the victory that is ours in Jesus. We sing because when we sing, the enemy scatters. Pick up your weapons for warfare. Press on in the victory that is yours in Jesus. And let's be a singing people. Let me pray for us. God, we need you. We're not strong. We're not strong. Um, we're weak and we're prone to wander. We are limpers. But I'm thankful that you fight for your people, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness, that as we are engaged in real cosmic battle, we thank you, Jesus, that you reign supreme and you are seated on a throne even today. I pray for my brothers and sisters today and this week that they would take up the weapons of their warfare and that they would press back darkness in their hearts and lives and their spheres of influence and that we would experience real victory in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for securing us and delivering us into wide open places because you delight in us. You're our hero and our king, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.